Human Vortex Training and Menachem Brody present the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast, where we talk strength training, physiology, psychology, tech, and much more to help you get fitter, faster, and stronger in and out of your sport, giving you expert insights, talking with other leading experts. And now, your host, world-leading strength coach for cyclists and triathletes, Menachem Brody. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 85 of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete podcast. This week, we speak with the cycling coach, Colin Sandberg. Now, Colin and I met each other many, many years ago back in Pittsburgh. Uh, He was working out of Philadelphia with young medalists. And we have quite the episode for you today. So we actually recorded this in the fall of uh, 2020. And we look at a deeper dive into the mental side of training. And this is something that is uh, incredibly, incredibly important, especially right now. We're getting into 2021. And a lot of the coaching calls that I've had and those who have expressed interest or who, who entered into the Big Gear Blueprint program here a couple weeks ago, Essentially, uh, we are working on coaching our athletes here at Human Vortex Training to be more process-oriented. So many of us as endurance athletes like to look at a race as an outcome when in fact those who tend to do the best don't look at races for outcomes. They look at the process for outcomes. And a lot of the athletes that I coach tend to be uh, that way. Uh, A number of the riders who joined the Big Gear Blueprint a couple weeks ago are the same way. And uh, that's not doesn't mean it's wrong to not be process oriented. It just means that it tends to take some of the pressure off. Uh, we heard Dan John a number of episodes ago, so if you haven't already uh, listened to episode seventy nine with Dan John, a fantastic episode. We don't go in, into it in that podcast in particular, but there's something that he refers to as park bench versus bus stop bench fitness. The bus stop bench fitness is what many of us who are highly competitive uh, were wanting to go pro tend to work around. Where on this day, at this time, headed in this right direction that we want to go, we expect our fitness to be there. That's the bus stop. You have a schedule. You know that if you show up on time, chances are extremely high that you're going to get in that direction. Although delays happen. 2020 happened. Buses get stuck behind slow drivers or uh, in traffic jams as well. Then there's the concept of park bench. And the park bench is, I would like to go see some birds. I don't know, I don't really care about what types of birds, but I know I want to see birds. Not cats, not dogs, not not, uh, anything else, not fish. I want to see birds. Where can I go to go see some birds? Where can I go to get some really great fitness and just to feel better? I'll go to a park bench. I will go on a journey that is going to be process oriented where I know that if I show up consistently, I'm guaranteed as much as life can to see some kind of bird. So I'm going to go to a park bench where there's grass and trees uh, and open space and chances are very high I'm going to see some birds. In today's episode with Colin, we're really going to get into uh, a little bit of a rabbit hole. So you'll notice the episode is a little bit longer than normal. Uh, it's an hour and a half, uh, an hour and 40 minutes with the intro here. Uh, I encourage you to really listen all the way through. And we didn't make it two parts for the reason that uh, I want this to be fresh. So it's better for you to come back and uh, start from a little bit earlier and then hear things again because we do cover a lot of important points. 
Now, before we get into today's episode, a few housekeeping items. As I mentioned, we had a number of individuals join the strength training programs or Strength Plus On Bike called the Big Year Blueprint. This is a brand new program here at Human Vortex Training, uh, something that I'm very, very excited about and is going extremely well. I'm super pumped. Uh, We're only three and a half, four weeks in at the time of this recording, and it's already going really, really well. So what this is, is a personalized on-bike or strength plus on-bike program, excuse me, a personalized strength program or strength plus on-bike program that will allow you to see fantastic results. So it's going so well, what we're going to do is we're going to open it each month, the beginning of the month, month for a new cohort. So a new group will come in, uh, join the Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group. There's live weekly question and answer sessions with me, uh, an hour of my time to answer your your questions and answers. And we have riders from all around the world, Spain, UK, US, uh, Canada, I believe. Uh, no, actually they're in, they're in uh, Washington, so just shy, almost in Canada. Uh, but this is a, a great program uh, and really allows for far better results. So if you're interested, uh, shoot me an email, B as in boy, R-O-D as in dog, I-E at humanvortextraining.com. Uh, and also make sure you're signing up for the newsletter because uh, the first in for this program and a number of my programs uh, go to the newsletter. So I don't have a lot of uh, pre-made strength training programs because it depends and it it tends to be personalized. So uh, if you're interested in learning uh, and getting a strength training program, the newsletter is the way to do it. Without much further ado, let's get into today's podcast episode number 85 with Colin Sandberg. Colin, thank you so much for joining us here today, man. Thanks for having me, Menaka. It's been uh, quite some time since I've seen you. I think 2010 was the last time, and you have literally been around the world in that time. Can you share with us uh, you, who you are, what you've been doing the last couple of years? Yeah, well, the last couple of years have been, have been really interesting. In 2018, we actually moved uh, from Philadelphia to Suzhou, China. It was for my, my wife's job. Uh, she works with... Duke uh, Kunshan University. It's Duke's university in China. So we decided to make a big change there, um, moved to China. We actually thought we'd be living there a bit longer, but things changed. And uh, we moved last year to Durham, North Carolina, which is where Duke's main campus is. Um, So uh, we've been here a year. Um, Hard to believe. Half of that's been during the pandemic so we're still <laughs> waiting for things to reopen we can really explore the area but so far uh so far so good um as far as living in, in china it was definitely a really interesting experience um and challenging in some ways but also eye-opening in others um you know coming especially from a, a cycling standpoint uh, China is such a big growth area for cycling and bike racing. I think that's been a consequence of the the booming middle class, the middle class really growing quickly in the last couple of decades. And there's, you know, more people with more disposable income. So there's golf courses popping up. The number of marathons and triathlons has, you know, just doubled year after year and, and bike races. So Coming from the U.S., where you have a lot of people that say, you know, cycling is dead, or, or in particular, road racing is dead, <laughs> and then you go there, and it's like, um, you know, the, <laughs> they're paying you to come to. I, I didn't pay an entry fee, 
all year uh, in the competitions I did there. And most of the time they paid for my travel expenses. Um, and these are amateur races. Um, and there's, you know, there's, there's fans there and a really good prize list. So very, very different scene from what we have here. Sounds like the racing in the States in the eighties almost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In, in some ways. Um, and the, the riding was very, very interesting too, but where, where I lived, it was like pancake flat, but then you would have these mountain parks where it would just be like this three mile climb at 15 to 20% grade. <laughs> so the elevation profiles of my rides would be hilarious. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like, oh no, I'm only going to be able to spin at tempo forever. Oh, nope. There's a climb. All right. Yeah. There are my legs. There, there yeah. we go. <laughs> well, yeah. um, you were also going into that. Like you're talking about this stuff. You have a, a very long resume of coaching, uh, coaching very uh, well, or I guess thoroughbred would kind of be the word or, or high, high level prospects for cycling as well. Yeah, I would say I've had a pretty good track record of, of getting people from good to great. <laughs> um, coached a lot of juniors. I worked with the junior team, the uh, young medalists uh, from 2011 through, I, I had to give that up when we moved to China in 2018. So was that eight years or so? Um so, you know, some of those juniors went on to be pros. I'd say most notable there was uh, Robin Carpenter, who um, most, of, most of your listeners probably know, you know, now arguably one of the best cyclists and one of the best American cyclists, uh, rides for the rally team now. But, uh, but yeah, uh, a number of other professionals and U23 guys, you know, working to get to the next level, so to speak. And a lot of that, the thing that struck me was uh, hanging around the young medalists uh, pre-race. You do, or it seemed to me at least, now granted this was what, nine, 10 years ago, so I, I could be completely out of the, the ballpark here. But if I remember correctly, one of the things that really struck me was how much into you know the quote unquote soft science of the psychological coaching you were, where how you spoke to them uh, was very, very different than how a lot of coaches tend to speak to juniors. And you know, especially now going through the pandemic, it seems like that side of your coaching is just, you know, really helping those that you're working with uh, and, and have worked with in the past to be able to make the most out of this situation. Can you talk a little bit about how you develop that side of your coaching and how you intertwine it into uh, when you're working with someone or with the team? Yeah, well, I, I think communication is a really big part of it. Um, I, I would say that I loved working with juniors because it kind of gave me the opportunity to establish the fundamentals really well. Um, it's a lot easier to learn something right the first time than have to unlearn and then relearn it uh, when you're older. I mean, I think a lot of those lessons, getting back to the fundamentals can be can be useful for, for older riders too, but, but a lot of times it's more challenging. And, um, you know, with juniors, you have this opportunity to just like teach them the basics the, the right way. But a lot of it does come down to communication. I try to make an effort to have a, a pre-race meeting, um, 
and a post-race meeting all the time. And, you know, the post-race meetings were very interesting because I would ask every rider to go along and, and say, you know, what happened in that race? Tell me what your perspective was. And it was a very different story from the, the guy who was in the break all day versus the one who was at the back fighting to survive all day. Um, but it was important for everybody to hear both sides of it or all sides of it because everybody's going to be in those different situations sometimes. And, um, and sometimes, you know, I felt like my job was just to help them uh, better put words to what, <laughs> understand what the real lesson was because sometimes people, they know they made a mistake or they know something went wrong, but they don't really know what it was. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of an example, like, you know, they, or, or they might draw the wrong conclusion from that. It's like, if somebody was in a sprint finish and they got a little bit spooked and just, you know, didn't do well in the sprints, so sort of backed off when things started getting a little argy-bargy, as they say, um, the conclusion they might draw is, okay, I need to attack from the, I don't want to be in a sprint finish. I need to attack from the gun next time. Well, no, there was <laughs> a lesson, you know, of, of things we need to work on here, but that's probably not the right conclusion to, to draw from that. So just talking through all of that. Um, but, um, you know, understanding that, you are part of a team too and and just reinforcing like i believe in you uh it's you know letting people calm down afterwards um all of that is is important i would say calm down right now is one of the most important phrases we could say you know <laughs> where's the keep keep calm and carry on t-shirts where where is that person where are the memes instead the memes are if 2020 were a scented candle porta johns on fire um yeah, yeah. Having that perspective, though, you know, the ability that you have as a coach to be able to help coach those junior riders, I think, in my opinion, uh, strictly my opinion, uh, adults need that more than the juniors. I think that adults tend to be much more closed-minded in that, um, you know, after a certain point, the opinion becomes set in stone. This is the way the world works, as opposed to, well, this is my perspective of it. What did someone else see? How can we as adults begin to take a step back and recognize that, okay, we're interpreting things a certain way, but nothing has meaning to it until we decide what it means. Well, yeah, that, that's a tough one. I mean, I think it's, we have, to, I think we first have to understand ourselves a little bit better and make an effort to really do that. Um, it's, it's really surprising how many, I want to say athletes, but really people don't understand their own strengths and weaknesses. You know, most people will probably be able to tell, most cyclists will probably be able to tell you if they're a, a sprinter or a climber, but you know, at a, a bigger level than that, they may not have a good sense of their own strengths and weaknesses. Um, and, you know, somebody, 
is a really need some work on their bike handling or their their strategy uh, and you know tactical sense. Um, if somebody is sort of out of whack with this life balance or is really lacking confidence or, or perhaps overconfident, um, if they are doing a poor job with their nutrition, you know, either on or off the bike, um, a lot, a lot of times they just don't know. And I think especially now during this pandemic, it's an opportunity to really understand those things and to, to reach out to our team of uh, our support team, <laughs> um, which could include a lot of different people. Uh, I mean, it, if you have a coach, of course, or a mentor, uh, that's the obvious one, but even like reaching out to teammates and saying, Hey, you know, what do you think? Let's, let's have a, a talk here. What are the things that I do well and what do I need to work on? Um, you know, of course your significant other, uh, but also maybe your therapist, uh, your chiropractor, your massage therapist, your acupuncturist, um, you know, your personal trainer, um, even your bike mechanic, <laughs> um, and say, Hey, what, tell me, be honest, give me some feedback here. And then you have to be willing to listen to that, which is, which is hard. <laughs> I know, um, you know, my wife is a, a manager and she has to do these performance evaluations every year. And she'll tell me sometimes that, uh, if you put anything less than exceeds expectations, people are like, what? You know, they, that's what they focus on. They have trouble accepting that. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of times people don't even understand what their own strengths and weaknesses are. And when you really are open to that, um, it can be very, very enlightening. Um, and it's, it's hard to work on those things. I mean, most of us, when left to our own devices, we we work best on the thing. We we spend the most time working on the things that are already our strengths. Um, and when we do work on our weaknesses, it's like it's it's hard. <laughs> it's work. Uh, I mean, I've had a lot of athletes tell me with certain workouts, they're like, "This workout is BS," or "I must be doing it wrong," or "Something's wrong." And it's like, no, we're just, we're really hitting on your, your weaknesses here. This is a sign that we're working on the right thing. Um, but it's, it's challenging. That, that's the hard part. And I, I, you know, I think a lot of people, I'm, I'm personally seeing more people who are not racers uh, working with myself and the other coaches that I, I, I keep fairly, fairly close and we talk often and, and it's very interesting to see that part of it is because of gravel and the challenges and it's so new. So there's a lot of road cyclists. Uh, let me rephrase that. There are quite a few road cyclists who are contacting me now saying, Hey, are you still doing skill sessions? And these are mm -hmm. people, a couple of the names pop up and it says <laughs> skill session question mark. I'm like, where were you eight years ago? <laughs> you know? Um, and you read the email and they're like, Hey, I was just running gravel. And I remember this one thing you taught me in a clinic, uh, you did back at the oval or, you know, back in the park. And uh, I was wondering if you're still doing those. And it's just really interesting how when the circumstances change, 
because we don't have a mind map and we haven't had that experience or decided what this means to us, uh, you know, like you're talking about that, you know, 120 RPM, that's impossible. Who spins like that? Uh, <laughs> lots of amateur and the guy named Mark Cavendish, you might know of him. Um, and any track racer, like that's physically impossible. No, that's just what we're working on. You know, how do we, how do we use this um, opportunity, which is really what this is, of being completely knocked out of our norms, both as a cyclist and as a human being, to allow us to remake or, or better make our mind maps as to what these things are going to mean to us and how to make the most out of it? Well, let me just back up one second, because there's one thing that you said that I wanted to uh, give a little anecdote about, about the, the skill sessions. Um, I, I think so many athletes and unfortunately a lot of coaches too have kind of a narrow mindset about um, how to improve athletes. And a lot of it's just about the on the bike, you know, the training plan. And, and they really limit themselves by not considering other things. Um, it's like, uh, you know, if, if all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail and they think every, every problem is just, we need to adjust the training. Um, when I, I would argue that that's actually, you know, that, that's a part of it, but it, it's, a, it's not the majority of it. And really you have to have, you have to have a a big toolbox and consider a lot of things. It doesn't mean as a coach that you're going to be the best at everything. Um, sometimes it takes some, some humility to, to know when to refer somebody when you are a little bit out of your depth. But I think it does take a, or at least my philosophy as a coach is that you need to have the tools to recognize that um, there are lots of different components to this. And, and with regard to the, the bike handling, I, remember uh there was this one season when um chris horner was racing cyclocross and i remember talking to adam meyerson who's another coach and sort of a cyclocross specialist himself he's current masters of national champion in cyclocross and and he was talking about how he would end up inevitably in every cross race riding with chris horner they'd be side by side and he would be like Chris Warner, his threshold was a hundred watts higher than mine. <laughs> and in every straightaway on the course, I would be hanging on his wheel for dear life, <laughs> trying not to get dropped. But then he'd start breaking 50 feet before I would on every turn. And I'd catch right back up to him. Um, and I, I do believe Horner, uh, and, eventually improved his skills a bit there but it's like we all keep thinking oh if i only could improve my threshold power or my power to weight ratio i would just i would just improve and and i've heard some people even say well you, you know you got to work on that a rising tide raises all boats and I, I think well not necessarily um because you could put somebody on an e-bike on a lot of cyclocross courses they're not going to go any faster if they don't have the skills needed to handle that power you know it's you need those things to to rise in in tandem um but anyway back to your 
original uh, question there about you know using this this opportunity to to think about these these big picture type things. Um, I think that it, it's important to to do this sort of assessment. Um, I, I ask athletes at the end of every season, you know, after they've taken a little bit of a break to look back on the season with a little bit of, uh, with a little bit of perspective. And I call it like looking at things at the 30,000 foot level um, when the emotion and the, maybe the disappointment of, of not doing well at certain races or the excitement of doing well at others it has passed. And you can look at things a little bit more objectively and, and look for themes, look for, you know, what did I do? What went well? What didn't go as well? Um, but you can do that. There's another level too. There's like the, 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 uh, 250 mile level, you know, the international space stations at 250 miles above the surface of the earth. And there's, there's a lot of development that happens, not just on a uh, a seasonal level, but on a career level, a, a lot of significant improvements, you know, they take years to build. And unfortunately, I think a lot of athletes really just every season, um, they, they improve a certain amount and they run into some sort of wall or some sort of ceiling, whatever metaphors you want to use. And then they go backwards and then they, they improve. And, and every season it's like the same sort of thing and they don't really make progress um, on a, 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 a meta level from, from season to season. Um, in some cases, a lot of people don't really have career goals or, or long-term goals aside from just the regular seasonal things. So I think this is an opportunity to, to look at the themes in our careers. And like I said before, asking our, our support team, asking the people around us what their assessments are um, and looking at where we want to go and setting, setting goals, which is really challenging. I mean, I think if you're, if you're training for the Olympics, it's one thing. It's sort of an easy, okay, you have a, a four-year plan typically. But for most of us, even at a pro and elite level, like you ask somebody what their career goals are, they're not going to meet the, you know, the, the smart goal, um, what's what's the acronym you know specific measurable attainable relevant and time specific uh, most people will say oh i want to improve i want to see how good i can get and those are th that's fine but maybe now's the time to look at them a little bit more uh specifically <laughs> and measurable you know drill down on those a little bit and see what they can do and see what the patterns have been in their, uh, in their career. I, I think you hit the nail on the head with it being really difficult for a lot of people. We, they just kind of get stuck in, you know, well, that's what I did last year. They have one good year where it worked. Um, you know, I had an athlete in 2016, we had a big goal uh, to win a three day stage race with international racers. Um, and 
what we did the year before really helped him. And, and he was so set on doing the exact same thing. It was like, mm. well, yeah, but that was for the national championship, right? And now we're racing against international riders, which means you don't know who's coming and you also, your weaknesses are going to be very, very uh, visible, especially your body language on the bike. And that's something, by the way, I don't hear a lot of coaches coaching, controlling your body language on the bike. Like, you need to learn how to be able to mask how you're feeling and other riders can't read it on your face or in your body language. That's really important. Uh, as far as I've seen in my small experience, I'm curious, is that something, you know, just as an aside, is that something that you work on or you talk with, with your athletes a little bit? Yeah, I, I, um, in particular, when I was working with the junior team, we had weekly practices or, or sometimes two, two time a week practices and and we would talk about that um i mean it was very useful for me as a coach to ride with them and see that because some of the notes that i would see in their training would not would not match what i saw with the body language so it was you know i could tell if somebody was tired physically or or mentally in 5 minutes of riding with <laughs> <laughs> and and sometimes it would be very difficult to see that with the, it's one of the challenges with coaching remote athletes um i think it's it's very possible to do successfully but uh, but as for the um the, the body language and the game of it you know that's a that's a whole nother thing <laughs> and and yeah very very important um learning that it's a that that it's a game um and a lot of times it's it's more of a game of, of, of poker yes <laughs> hiding until you're like wow he looks tired nope not anymore <laughs> there he goes um you know just that that's something that i wanted to pull out because i think body language says a lot and that's something that i've studied i've uh, quite a bit at, at one of my coaches uh, guidance when I was powerlifting, uh, learning to read body language of other lifters, trying to give myself an understanding of where they were at in, in their lifts. You know, he essentially took out of my hands as a powerlifter, the uh, ability to assign the weights. So he's like, you go up, you know, Brody, go lift up the bar, put it down, <laughs> make sure you can do a good lift. No red lights. That was what he told me he took care because he knew as a athlete that if I knew the weight on the bar, then I'm going to psych myself out. Whereas if I'm busy watching the other athletes, I'm like, oh yeah, okay. He's going to have a really big lift. So I've got to be on my A game today. And I think in cycling, that's something that, you know, there's so much more that's not taught. Uh, there's a, a book I'm reading right now called Full Gas. And I think it's the second or third book that I've seen on the market, let alone read uh, with Tom Preen's um, uh, right. book on road racing tactics, there really isn't much out there to coach people about that. And when you try and tell somebody like, Hey, let's work on your body language a little bit. Uh, they don't see that or understand how that will affect their on bike performance. And some people not even their off bike. And right now, you know, walking down the street, it, it's kind of clear with some people where they're at, you know, and sometimes just a smile or, Hey, how's it going today? Or, you know, uh, if you have the ability, you know, pay for the person behind you's cup of coffee kind of thing can go a long way to just cheer somebody up and, and really pull together as a team. And where I'm going with this, because uh, I know readers or listeners like, where, where is this going? Is there's a lot of skills that 
that should be learned that as the average person or a new coach or someone who hasn't been around the racers who have had those experiences, we don't know this. We don't know that we should, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And you're talking, you know, we're talking here about the poker game and you're talking about, uh, you know, not being able to know your weaknesses as well. This is a time where a lot of those come out as a person and and also as a, a cyclist. How do we how do we maintain an even keel when we're starting to go through that realization process? Or maybe we do talk to uh, our physical therapist or or to our coach, and and they mention, and we're like, wow, yeah, that is a strength or that is a weakness. How do we keep that even keel to make sure that we're taking this and building upon it, as opposed to being like, oh, well, that's another negative and you know, expletive, expletive. Right, right. Um. Well, again, let me let me back up for for one minute because the and there's something I wanted to say about the body language thing that I feel like that can work both ways too. I've been tricked. I would say I, I, there's one race that comes to mind that I was in and I made the break, four man break, and we're coming down to the wire. This is a, a crit, maybe uh, one lap to go. Well. The, Sorry, during the break, there's one guy who the whole time is, you know, his head's down, he's swaying side to side, he's groaning, he's missing pulls. And um, and everybody else in the break, including me, is saying, okay, you can make it, buddy. You can, <laughs> like, encouraging him on. And, and, you know, there was a tactical reason for that, too, because he was part of the team, and I nobody wanted him to get dropped because that meant his team would team would chase but from the body language and the the, just his tone and the way he was riding you would think that he was just on the verge of getting dropped and and you know I guess it's possible he was but sure enough one lap to go he attacks catches everybody by surprise and wins the race (laughs) Um, and you know most of the time it doesn't work that way because <laughs> that's a that's a move that'll only work once <laughs> once people see that coming. Um, but I think in general, just about learning the game, learning how to ride, all these things you said. There's only one or two good books out there on this. Um, the unfortunate thing about the way most, at least most Americans, get into cycling is they learn how to train for cycling before they learn how to ride a bike <laughs> or, or the basic skills of racing, um, which is a lot different from, I think, you know, how most people learn in Europe where they might learn how to ride and race and ride with a group, learn those skills um, and the game of it first. And then if they enjoy it and love it and want to get better, then they learn how to train or they seek out help with that. Um, so, so yeah, learning, learning those, th- that part of it is really important. And I was probably an example of somebody who, who learned how to train before I really learned how to ride and race. And I was, I was lucky, um, you know, I first started coaching full-time with, um, back in 2004 with Cadence uh, Cycling Centers in Philadelphia. And just sort of fell into this job. I, I was, my degree is in engineering, but I um, had been writing and, and uh, you know, reading up on all these 
every article and book I could for a while and it had gotten really into the methodical side of, uh, of, of training and had some success with it. And then I started working at Cadence and suddenly there was this like great team of coaches there. Um, there was Brian Walton was the head coach. He was, you know, Olympic silver medalist. He rode for Motorola and Saturn. He had directed the Snow Valley team, which at one point was like the, the top amateur team in the country. Uh, we had, you know, Ryan Olkers, who was a former pro track cyclist, was one of these guys that could just like find a hole in a sprint that nobody else would see <laughs> that wasn't there. Um, you know, really taught me how to sprint. Um, Benjamin Sharp was had had like it was this guy who had won the little five hundred in Indiana, was points race national champion. We had um, Holden Camo, who was a triathlon coach, and um, you might know now because he's the current Zwift U.S. national champion. Uh, and Mike Kuhn, who was a mountain bike coach. You know, all these great people. And the, the first thing I learned was, oh, wow, you know, there's so much more to this than just the, the classic, you know, cycling workouts. Um, there's and, – and with – Brian Walton and, and Benjamin Sharp in particular, I just remember learning so much from those guys about how to, how to race. Um, and so many of these things that I had seen in races that I thought were just sort of like had happened by accident, I guess I realized, Oh no, that was <laughs> somebody, you know, an individual or a team, they knew what they were doing. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's see what was what was your uh, question there how do we absorb the the, the, the these lessons with... yeah what people are telling us our strengths or weaknesses that we may not necessarily agree with yeah um yeah i mean i i think we don't necessarily have to agree with them but we have to be open to different perspectives um and and the truth is if you know if we're doing the same thing, all, I mean, what's that they say about the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and, and expecting different results. Um, uh, you know, if the, the same themes keep coming up, then there is an underlying problem that we need to be creative about how to address that um it, it's like if you are in a, a crash and you have a few days where you need to take some ibuprofen to you know live your life and you know ride your bike or do your training is one thing but if you need to take ibuprofen every day just to get through the day or to get to bed something's probably wrong right um you know if you uh you know, foam rolling, as, as you know, you know, great. But if you always have to foam roll like that same problem area every day just to be able to do your workout and it's not, you're not seeing any improvement there, um, maybe there's something more underlying. Or if you have, if you look back at your career and every season you are feeling like burnout mid-season, well, yeah, it's understandable that might happen. Like that might happen sometimes, 
due to unforeseen circumstances. But if it's every season, there's something, there's probably something more here. So, so be open to a new way of, of looking at things. Well, you also mentioned something that a lot of athletes don't do. Uh, and I, I was uh, reinforced this, we'll say, is the nice way of putting it numerous times by my coaches growing up, is keep a notebook. And it not, doesn't have to be super detailed. How did you feel? How, what were the actual stats? And the next morning, how do you feel about your training from yesterday? So it's not just, you know, I think uh, one of the platforms, the major platforms did a upgrade and one of the major revolutions was the RPE smiley scale. And I've been using that for years. <laughs> and some athletes are like, why do you want me to write a frowny face, a flat face or a happy face? I'm like, Cause that's going to tell me how you're feeling on a scale of one to 10. And we can really figure out a lot from that. A lot of writers don't, they just upload their ride to Strava. They're so worried about is the filter right? Or, uh, you know, can people see where I was or did I, they, they're missing the, how about we put the actual things that are important? Like, how did you feel? How's your knee feeling? How's your back? How's your breathing? And you know, overall, what was your mental status coming into this? That is one of my favorite questions. Cause most people, my mental status, I don't know. I rode my bike. Like, were you happy to ride your bike? <laughs> and especially now with all these different things going on in life, you know, depending on what state you're in, you may or may not be able to ride your bike outside with or without a mask. These are the types of soft skills and, and trackings that can have a huge impact on a career. So what would your suggestions be to athletes? You know, you're talking about taking notes. What would be a high quality training log entry from someone who's going to start right now to try and take advantage of what we're talking about, about the goal setting, their smart goals. Uh, they're also taking the information in from the other individuals around them that are part of their team. How would you suggest the listeners or their athletes start logging and writing? Uh, is it a paragraph? Is it two paragraphs? What should be in there? Well, I, I'm so glad you brought this up because I think this is just really, really important. And not only from a coach to athlete or an athlete to coach perspective uh, in terms of that communication, but even for self-coached athletes, you know, I recently was, was looking back at my own power files. I got, I, I, uh, I think bought a power tap first in 2002. So I've got really, 18 years of power files at this point. I was looking back and I didn't have comments in those workouts for all of those, but I was like so happy for when I'm looking back at power files from 2004, 2005, when I had comments and took me right back to there. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. And you know, the ones that don't have comments, it's just like, okay, it's a, it's a graph. <laughs> I, I can do some, I did some intervals here. Maybe it says what I did, but it, I don't really get much out of it. Um, so, so when you are looking back and trying to, you know, answer these questions of what's worked well, what hasn't worked well, um, what were, what are these themes? Those comments are, are so important and really at, at a fundamental level, just like, did you do the workout? <laughs> did you do the workout that's prescribed or did you do something else? Do you, um, you know, just tell me what happened. And after that, tell me, how'd you feel? Um, you know, that, 
I, I think this is one of the unfortunate side effects of having so much technology. We, we every time we go on a ride now, most of us, uh, we have power meters, we have GPS, and all of these other things, you know, heart rate, speed, cadence, and everything. And those are great tools, but they don't replace the comments there, the, um, you know, that, that feedback from, from athletes. Um, but I think, yeah, yeah I, I look for the tone of the, the comments, and I know you've had a couple guests that have talked with you about this exact same thing and couldn't agree more. Um, just, you know, what kind of language do they use? Is it a, is it, are they positive words? Are they negative words? Um, are they sort of down on themselves, beating themselves up about something or are they, are they hopeful? And it doesn't necessarily always correlate to, you know, executing on the workout perfectly as, as written. Um, you know, somebody could do that. You could look at just the graph and it's like, okay, they hit their numbers, they execute on the workout, but if they're miserable doing it, you know, that, that is a lot different from, I felt good. I had to pull myself back from going harder. <laughs> um, but I think at a, um, a day to day level, you want to look for just things like did I understand the purpose of today's workout? Um, did I pick the best course to do this workout on? Um, did I fuel properly? Um, did I warm up properly for these, you know, high intensity intervals or for this race? Um, if it's a race, you know, did I stage well? Uh, did I, did I recon the course understanding where the tough parts are going to be? Um, did I make the best setup choices for tire pressure or suspension um, or clothing? <laughs> did I wear the right clothes? Um, and, um, you know, did I learn any lessons here? Um, um, just how was I feeling? Was I able to go hard when I needed to go hard? Was I able to go easy when I was supposed to go easy? Um, and, and that's sort of at the, the day-to-day level. And then, of course, there's like, there's a weekly level, um, which a lot of that comes into planning and moving things around, sort of playing the shell game based on the weather and fatigue and um, things that might be going on in your personal life, balancing, balancing training needs with personal and work and family stuff. Um, just it's and that's where I think a coach can be really helpful to to help you through that um and then there's a you know there's a monthly level the training phases which is about understanding the purposes of different phases of training um making sure you're managing fatigue levels so you're you're not overdoing it or, or you're, you're pushing yourself to the appropriate level in each phase. Um, making sure that you're, if you've got a recovery week there, that you're, you're going easy enough on your recovery week. Um, and looking at maybe slightly bigger things like, are you trying to train through an injury or illness? Are you feeling, you know, depressed? Um, is your weight fluctuating a significant amount? Those 
those sort of things. And of course, like I talked about earlier, you've got the, the annual level, you know, the season level and the, the 250 mile level, you know, the international space station level. And the, the notes really make a huge difference in being able to identify those trends of taking, I think the verbiage you used was taking, you know, one step forward or two steps forward and two steps back every season where you're just kind of, you know, you're doing the tango. Me like I do a de tango, but not when my, you know, my fitness is getting better, but oh, well, if I'm not keeping my notes, my, my numbers were better this year than the race. The guys much, must have been much faster. Well, John, if that's been going on for four years, either people are getting a lot faster or maybe it's your cornering and breaking that's causing you to not do so well. Or if they keep those notes, it's easy to see like, oh, well, in corner three, I kept breaking too early and had 20 people fly by me and I had to burn a match to get there. These training logs are seen as such a quote unquote soft science or the numbers tell the story. That's my favorite. I don't need to write a training log about this because the numbers tell the story. I'm like, okay, can you tell me it three months from now? Yes. How about three years? It's not going to matter anymore. Hmm. <laughs> Want to learn more? Check out humanvortextraining.com for more on this topic from Coach Brody and today's guest. How do we, how do we break through that that obstacle that a lot of endurance athletes have of the, the numbers tell the story. If my fitness is there, the numbers tell, I don't need to, I felt like a seven and they just, you know, they give you that one sentence. How do we begin to change our mindsets of, okay, Colin, I hear you. I'm going to start writing stuff. What would be the two things that an athlete must write for you to be able to help them or help themselves identify these trends and progress, even though they're not really into that training log, but we'll get them to the point where they're like, Oh, this is valuable. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, like I said before, I would start small, just write what you did, write how you felt. You don't need to write an essay there. If you, if you like that, then fine. But um, just at a basic level, <laughs> did you do the workout? Did you make it through? Did you switch it with something else? Um, and even on days when you miss the workout, you know, right? I missed this workout. Uh, I don't think there's, yeah, you know, it's going to happen um, for one reason or another. I, I don't beat people up about missing workout, you know, HDFU, uh, just do the workout. No, um, but if it happens over and over again, like let's look at why, why did you miss that? Um, so, so just having some sort of log. Um, but I think, Doing these annual uh, reviews really helps too. And you were talking about the smiley faces and it's kind of, I was kind of chuckling um, because at the end of every season, I will have uh, kind of like I was saying either earlier, um, athletes print out all their results um, or, or write them down if they, they can't easily print them out and just Go through that list or events, you know, whatever they're they're training for, whatever events they have on their schedule, um, and put a a smiley face, a frowny face, or, or sort of a neutral face next to each one of those. And then you go through and you put them all in categories like, okay, what what are the trends that you see with all the smiley faces? What are the um trends you see with the frowny faces and what's really enlightening about that 
for so many athletes is a lot of the frowny faces, a lot of those events, it has nothing to do with fitness. Um, it's not that they didn't do well on that race because their power to weight ratio wasn't high enough. It's that they dropped their chain on a climb because they were cross chained or they staged poorly at the beginning and never, you know, they never really had a chance to get caught behind three crashes in the first five minutes of their race or they didn't fuel properly. Um, they didn't eat enough and they, they bonked. Um, those often are the themes. And again, like if it ha all those things ha they happen from time to time, but if you see them as a theme written down right in front of you like that, and you say, this happened, you know, five times last season, um, we got to work on that. And I think it's really enlightening. And it, it's also, um, you know, a lot of those things are, are relatively low hanging fruit too. I, I think, um, you know, making sure your bike is tuned up before every race and making sure that your, your, your chain's not going to drop off. That's a pretty easy <laughs> thing to fix. Um, it's a lot easier than increasing your power to weight ratio by a full, <laughs> a full point. Um, you know, learning how to stage at the beginning of a, a crit, um, working on some bike handling, all of these these things warming up properly um and even nutrition like nutrition can be challenging but but um for the most part it is something during a race that's in your control that you can that you can change um you know if you if you don't eat enough in a race kind of feel like that's that that's pretty easy to change um so yeah, I mean, having it in front of you, I think is is very helpful. And yet nobody does it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> totally guilty of it myself. I mean, it's so easy to think power to weight. Well, I have the power meter and the heart rate, and now the whoop strap or the HRV. Like so many numbers, so many numbers get thrown around. You know. I don't know about you. I'm kind of at the point in my coaching career. I'm like, let's just slow our roll. If you want to have a power meter, that's fine. But you're going to display heart rate, speed, and cadence, and time. That's it. Maybe not even heart rate. Speed, cadence, and time. And let's just have you go ride your bike and understand what it feels like to ride uh, mm. and to corner well or to brake well. Yeah, absolutely. The, the data, all of that data can be so valuable for us, um, but it's so easy to get caught up in it. And we start thinking we're like a machine and you hear people saying, oh, my, they know what their threshold is or they think they know what their threshold is within plus or minus three watts. It's like, mm, no, <laughs> you're, it's, it's going to fluctuate quite a bit on a, a, a daily basis. Even. Um, and I think, unfortunately, well, I mean, there's two sides of this. We have attracted, our, our sport has attracted a lot of uh, people that are drawn to this methodical, technical side of it. And, and in a lot of ways, myself included, I, I love that part of it. Um, and, a, and I've seen a lot of people become coaches, which is great. You know, we need more good coaches out there. 
it's just that's only one side <laughs> and i think it's easy to if that's the only thing you focus on you uh you might have trouble getting out of your own head and and this is sort of like i was saying earlier about the, the understanding the game of it um so much of that is just getting out of your own head and your own sensations and becoming aware of what's going on around you in the in the pack in the race um as opposed to just saying i can't i can't do this you know my heart rate's too high my power is too high i, I i'm not gonna name names here but i remember one time this is a long time ago being in a race in a breakaway like seven person breakaway and one of uh the other guys in the breakaway who was a, a teammate of mine at the time actually was looking down at his power meter going up a hill and he sees uh you know, 500 watts i can't maintain 500 watts <laughs> and he gets dropped not because he didn't have the legs but because the number on a screen scared him uh it was you know it's just heartbreaking to to see yeah and i think that even leads to like a, a necessary conversation for new coaches and even coaches who have been in the game for a little bit uh you know we tend to get stuck in what we feel comfortable with and not really challenge that you know this is what i know is true and then being able to turn around and have the uh, the self-awareness to say, well, how do I know that's true? And is that in fact true or did that just work for X, Y, and Z? You know, having flexible plans. So gaining what would be, I, I'd consider expertise or, or uh, professionalism by having the understanding of, of, okay, there's setbacks and misfortunes but I'm going to still be stubborn about the goals that I've set. However, I'm smart enough to be flexible about the plans about how I'm going to get there. Like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm not riding at the power that I need. What else can I do? What was it that, that uh, team sky called it? Minimal gain, um, marginal gains. marginal gains, you know, everything you've talked about uh, here with the cornering and with the nutrition and with the sleep and, and marking how you felt and not cross chaining, I think all coaches know at least one racer who has done that or one athlete. And you're just like, you really didn't learn that in your training when you dropped the train six times up a climb. These are the small things that, that really add up. And it seems like so many racers and so many coaches nowadays are so stubborn on the plans. And then they wind up being flexible on the goal because well, I, how do I get Sally to understand that she needs to learn how to break her corner and that riding at five miles an hour on a white line in her smallest gear is going to help her handle her bike better. How do I get through to that? They're just like, Oh, I can't do that. I just need to give her five more Watts per kilo or five more Watts, five more Watts per kilo. You're an all-star five more Watts. What is it about us as coaches that, that has us just looking at it so black and white as opposed to, well, there's all the low hanging fruit you could do. Is it because it's not sexy or because uh, our athletes or clients don't want to hear it or we don't want to coach them for it? I don't know. Um, but I would, I would push back on, you know, the marginal, the whole marginal gains thing, I feel like has its, its flaws. Uh, and while a lot of these little things do add up, there is, 
a, a trap we can fall into of thinking that it's all additive. Um, you know, it's like, I'm sure you've seen these, these charts where they show time trial equipment. And it's like, if you get an aero helmet, you'll save 30 seconds off of your 40 K. Mm -hmm. And if you wear booties or get a disc wheel, it'll give you this number of seconds, this number. And, and we start thinking that if we just add all of those things up, then, you know, eventually we can get to a time of, you know, zero, right? <laughs> well, no, it doesn't work that way. Um, it, it, we have to look at what our, our limiters are, what the bottlenecks in the system. And, and maybe this is where I, I tend to think, you know, my, my degree is in industrial engineering. And um, a lot of that traditionally has to do with manufacturing. And you look for these bottlenecks in the system. So you could have a, a factory that produces, I mean, let's say, for, for cycling sake, let's say that you're making bike wheels, okay? And station one uh, laces the spokes and station two trues the wheel and station three like puts on the rim strips and the, the tires. <laughs> well, if it takes the person at station one, five minutes per wheel and the station, at, at st the person at station two, you know, eight minutes per wheel and then the person at station three, three minutes per wheel. Well, the longest step in the process is station two, right? So if everybody's just working at capacity, they're just going to end up having a pile of unfinished wheels just piling up. And meanwhile, the person on, at the third station at the putting on the rim strips is going to be twirling their thumbs with nothing to do. Um, so, you know, making that person faster and putting on rim strips doesn't help you. Uh, you have to look at the, what's the bottleneck in the system. How do we make that, that, that second step faster? And then, you know, maybe then something else becomes the limiter. So we, we do have to look at some things preventatively. But, um, you know, this is where each athlete, even if they have the same goals, everybody's... Uh, everybody's a little bit different. Um, and, and it's important to, to understand, you know, what are these, what are, are these limiters um, that you, that you run into? Um, and for a lot of people, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you know this is as well as anybody. A lot of times they have to do with uh, muscle imbalances and um you know just failure to do any strength and conditioning work just just riding the bike for for years and years and it may not become it, it may not be a limiter at first but a few years down the road these things you know and maybe it doesn't happen until they get to the point where their training load has increased to such a level or their threshold power or their sprint power is increased to a level, you know, the, the stronger you are, the more ability you have to destroy yourself. Um, and it's like the, the, there's a reason why that uh, when you get a flat tire, you pull out the donut in your car, that donut, you're not supposed to drive more than 50 miles an hour <laughs> with, it might be fine at low speeds, but if you take that on the highway at hundred miles an hour, you're going to have problems. Um, so a lot of people, 
You know, they don't do any of the, the stuff working on strength and conditioning for a number of reasons. And they improve to a certain level and then boom, they, they injure themselves and set themselves back. Yeah, and I, I, you hit on a couple of things here, so we'll, we'll go back to the, the beginning. I wanted to let you finish the thought because there was a lot there. I mean, yeah. you, you hit on a lot of stuff. Um, could not agree more with you about the whole marginal gains thing. Well, if I get the uh, Castelli skin paint suit, it's going to get – like I, what, I, what I was trying to get at with the marginal gains is more of the marginal gains we get through by training our psychology, by training our – turning and breaking every time that we're using them like and thinking well how did i do with that did did that work well did i take that corner well i find myself doing it i haven't been riding the bike for about a year i broke my fibula and then meniscus yeah. and corona but every time i corner on the scooter i am it's it just automatic i'm like that was a good corner that was a bad corner i break too early i break too late i didn't lean enough like granted it's a scooter but so few riders do that you know I, when I was coaching the team here, there were some people like, yeah, I just like following you. Even you're going slow because I see how to take that corner well. And then I just figure out how to do it at speed. Like these are things that you can practice, but a lot of people that isn't a marginal gain. But when I explain it to athletes, the, the light bulb seems to go off and I'm like, here's a marginal gain. Go to bed a half hour early and actually sleep. And they're like, oh yeah, let's try it for two weeks. Marginal gain, it's like a, a hot phrase. And then all of a sudden there's a buy-in. But these aren't really marginal. These are pretty fundamental things. You know, uh, the strength and conditioning you're talking about is, is just pivotal. Um, I mentioned in a previous podcast, I think, that one of the things that, that I recommend for people who do strength train year-round as cyclists, which thankfully is changing, is a sport that involves change of direction, but we can do at a, a relatively safe speed. So um, you know, I don't recommend squash because our shoulders are already screwed up from riding the position so much, but maybe racquetball with another cyclist. <laughs> um, that way there's only so much harm you can do. Uh, and you're, you're kind of locked in or, uh, one-on-one -on -one basketball where it's controlled with not a basketball player, but again, another cyclist or someone at your level where you're getting things you're not getting in your sport, because that can have a huge positive effect for you down the road, but you're not going to feel it right now. So it's a marginal gain in that you're doing something other than riding the bike and putting forces on the body you don't otherwise get in a safe manner to allow you to see gains later. And it's very much the same with cornering and braking and gear selection. And yet so few people, and I, I mean this, and I include myself in this for my first five years, that was stuff I didn't really get into as a coach. And it seems like a lot of coaches shy away from that. It's almost like they're, they're afraid to open that conversation with their athletes. And triathletes are the worst. And I mean triathlon coaches. Like, what gearing, what's your gear ratio? I asked somebody. They're like, I don't know. Big ring and somewhere in the middle. Like, it's just, it's, it's math. How many revolutions per minute do you need to go a little bit faster at the same watts? Let's, let's look at that. And they're like, well, no one's ever told me about that. I'm like, this is like a basic, you know, with the juniors, you learn it because of the gear ratio limitations, right? Yeah. So let me tie it in because I was a little bit around. These are things that as coaches, we need to coach our athletes. How can we start as a group uh, funneling people in or, or as athletes to buying into, okay, this is not a marginal gain. This is a major gain that's going to have more rewards, but I need to be patient and consistent for three to four months. Yeah, well, I, I think, again, getting back to this 
time we're in right now during this pandemic, um, there's there's opportunity here. Uh, we tend to look at it just like about what's what's lost, and um, you know there. You may have heard this, but the, uh, the the Chinese word for chaos is weiji, and it's two characters. And the the rough translation is is um, is danger and opportunity. Um, now, before any of your listeners go and get that tattooed on your back, I will say uh, it's a bit of a mistranslation, but but there is still truth in it that there is opportunity in the chaos here, and um, it's an opportunity to take a step back, look at things a little bit differently, and from a a different perspective, and and with regard to strength and conditioning, like. I, one of the excuses that I will hear a lot for, for not doing this stuff is like, I, it makes my muscles tired. So I don't want to do that, especially not year round because I'm racing. Well, now there's no races. So, okay. If you're a little bit tired for your workout, that's fine. Um, try, try something different. Um, I, but, you know, shifting your mentality, I think is is important here. One of the mistakes I think that I made early on in my career as an athlete and as a coach is I tend to, I, I think I looked at everything as a zero sum game. Um, like I could eat and in particular, um, like there's a way you coach fitness athletes versus a way you coach performance athletes. And the older I've gotten and the more experience I get, the more I realize like those are, are not two things that are in opposition to each other. You know, live, being healthy um, will help your performance. It's, it's not going to hurt it. Um, you know, working on some of those, it, it, correcting some of those imbalances, um, either muscularly or with other parts of your 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 life um you know eating well and and, yeah nutrition like i think there's probably some people out there that think like well i i can either eat a bunch of health food that tastes like crap you know that's bland and isn't enjoyable or i can eat what i want and it's you know cheeseburgers and french fries or whatever you know candy all the time it's like no you can you can do both you can have healthy food you can learn how to eat healthy foods that are also enjoyable um and you can do strength and conditioning work that will help you uh prevent injuries and be a a healthy person but also it'll, it's going to help your, your performance. Um, it's not in, in opposition. And I think we're, we're lucky right now to start seeing some, um, you know, some of the, the cyclists at the, the top of the sport who look a little bit, you know, the, the face of the sport is not Chris Froome anymore. Uh, you know, this skinny looking, guy who uh you know regardless of what he was doing in his his training you know had a certain look about what 
what cyclists look like. And now, you know, we're seeing more of the people at the top, um, you know, like uh, Matthew Vanderpoel and um, Wal Vanner, uh, you know, who are more all around and, 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 you know, even Peter Sagan, I know he's posted some, some of his uh, strength workouts on, um, on social media and people have, have seen that it's, it's helped and, or, or uh, Kate Courtney, another great example um, in mountain biking, people see that um, this stuff can help performance. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of it is there's a huge misconception about strength training for cyclists. And I, I had a really great experience with exactly this. Uh, well, I'll tie it together here. Uh, I'm working with a, on a project. Uh, I can't really disclose what it is right now, but there's three coaches there. One of them I've known for a number of years. Uh, his specialty is Brazilian jiu-jitsu and, and kickboxing and MMA. And the other one is uh, bodybuilding. And, you know, I was brought in to kind of head the project and, and I'm working and building training programs. And I've been doing sports performance so long, I've kind of gotten away the last five years in particular, six years in particular of doing really bodybuilding. I have a couple people here and there that come to me, uh, but it's usually like, hey, I used to do bodybuilding and now I'm a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu athlete and I need mobility and athleticism. And the programs are written very differently. Like, you know, it, it's hard to have another coach come in and look through your, your work and have that conversation with them. And they're like, well, let's do this and change this. But the, it just became so much more apparent that the programs that are out there predominantly for cyclists now are, are hypertrophy programs. Sets of 10 to 15, uh, very simple, very straightforward, which is part of the appeal. You know, you squat, you deadlift, you press, you pull each, each week, you choose those four and you go pretty hard each one. Well, the challenge that we have as a sport is, you know, HTFU, you mentioned before, cyclists and triathletes love that, you know, how, oh, you're a hard man, you know, it's hard man weather. Like, yeah, but there's also there that there's that very thin line of idiocy. <laughs> uh, when there's 40 kilometer an hour gusts and then they go up to 70, probably not good hard man weather. It's more like you're going to be thrown hard, man. Um, there's self-preservation, but with, with, Strength training and endurance athletes, there is this twisted thinking that in order for something to be beneficial to me, it has to be very painful. And yeah, when, when you're pushing that hard and you're loading the muscles up with hydrogen ions and, and you're really, really pushing your limits of, of your ability to take and transport oxygen things are going to break down and it's going to be very tough. But when you get into the weight room, you know, I, I, I'm doing a recap with some of the founders for a couple of the programs I've run here the last couple of weeks, deceptively effective. Uh, what's the other one? Uh, remarkably challenging for something that looks so simple. Uh, simple, but not easy. I mean, these are the things people are saying and, and they're tying things together for them and allowing them to go forward. It's almost like Colin, all right, Dude, I, I hear you, but it can't be that simple as keeping a training log and going out of my comfort zone and looking at my sleep or writing a couple sentences. That's not, that's not, it can't be that easy. It's almost like people are in denial that this is going to help you keeping a training log, changing how you're looking at things and recognizing uh, the consistency in doing the small things, the small changes for long periods of time will help you. 
how do we how do we reconcile this during this time where life is so upside down? How do we make this new change of okay, Colin, I totally I totally am with you. We're going to look at goal setting. I'm going to do a smart goal. Uh, I'm going to take measurable progress and reasonable time, and I'm going to take these training logs. Now, how do we get people to say, well, the rest of my life is completely upside down, but I'm going to add this new change to something that I'm barely or, or just starting to enjoy again? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about the whole no pain, no gain mentality still crippling us. And so many people, this is what I was talking about uh, when I said it's difficult sometimes to recognize what you're your own strengths and weaknesses are as an athlete. Um, I have one woman that I coach who will has, has struggled with her training um, uh, recently. And um, she keeps beating herself up saying, oh, I'm just, I need the HTFU. I'm, I'm not tough enough. I'm, and what's interesting is that if you talk to her friends and her teammates, they will say, that's like toughest bitch around. <laughs> you know, they, she is so tough. They will say, that's her strength actually. But, you know, she, the, the problem is not that she's not tough enough uh, or that she's not motivated enough. And, and so many of us, we fall into that trap like, I just need to, you know, find more motivation. Like, no, but that's, I, I don't think I can come up with a single example of anybody I've coached who really motivation was the problem. They wouldn't be paying for coaching if they weren't motivated um, and, and interested in, in improving their, their performance. Um, a lot of times it's just, it's the way we, we treat motivation and we look at it like this, this endless well, or, or if you look at it like a, um, a bank account, you know, they just keep withdrawing and withdrawing from it. And eventually you're going to overdraw your account. You know, you need to have times when you, when you, you make deposits into that account, or sometimes you just let it sit and, and grow interest. Um, and, and a lot of people don't have a sense of what those things are that, I mean, maybe they understand that a, a basic level that, okay, I need to, I have times when I stress my body uh, physically and times when I let it recover, although even then there's some, some problems with the balance sometimes. Um, but for, from a, a mental level, they don't understand the things that they can do that are restorative and um, what, they can do to, to make deposits into that account. So I will, um, you know, encourage athletes to sort of have a list of what those things are, whether it's a, a fun group ride or just a really, it's different for everybody. Maybe it's, you know, going mountain biking in the woods or, um, or taking a, an easy, easy spin without, you know, without your, your computer on there that, that you can be, putting, uh, you know, you're doing something, but not necessarily the workout that's planned because you, you, you have the awareness to know, okay, I need to, um, I need to make a deposit into that account right now. 
And how do you balance with, with your athletes, you know, getting on a different bike or getting them out of their, their usual um, habits right now? Or, or have you found that it's the opposite, that you have to bring them back to their habits? Like, okay, let's get on Zwift for 15 minutes. Like, how does that look like right now uh, for you and those that you're working with? Well, it's different. It's different with everybody. What's, what's been really interesting during this pandemic is that I've seen some people have really, uh, have really struggled, um, you know, for, for different reasons, for a whole host of reasons. Sometimes it's just like their motivation is a hundred percent racing. And when you take that racing away, they're just like, what am I doing this for? Uh, sometimes it's because they're going through, you know, things have been stressful at, that they're worried about losing their job or they're, they've got their kids at home that they're having to look after all day. And, and all of that's very, very understandable. Um, but they're, they're really struggling. Um, some people have really, uh, have really thrived in this. And I talked to some people who have said, you know, I have never in 20 years of training and racing had a good base. And now I can finally do that because I don't like they got to a certain point where the the competition became more of a burden and, and the travel and maybe you know having to uh, clean their bike all the time, keep everything tuned up. And so being able to train, having that freedom, maybe working from home, having a little bit more freedom, they've they've done well. Um, I, so everybody's a little bit, everybody's a little bit different. And I think you, you have to um, really look at the, the individual there. Um, for some people, it's been a good opportunity to try something, to try something new. Um, yeah. I mean, Zwift racing is, is one thing that, I've had a lot of people and talked to a lot of people who are sort of more traditionalists and they poo poo it, but I think it's a great opportunity to, especially when there's no, if that's what you need to be doing, you know, if you need like really you would benefit from going into races right now and these high intensity sessions and, you know, thinking about tactics and stuff. And there are tactics in, in Zwift racing. Um, you know, for other people, that's, that's not what they need. They need to be, using this opportunity to get back to their endurance um, or, you know, starting looking at some, some strength training stuff or bike handling, whatever. Um, yeah. Uh, some people have sort of discovered mountain biking and, and gravel. And, and I think it's, that's a, a fun way for a lot of people to, to keep things interesting. Um, and I, I'm talking about primarily road cyclists here, of course, that are not, their, their primary goals are not mountain biking or, or gravel, but it's like, it's something different, get them out of their, their comfort zone and sort of um, get in touch with maybe the sense of, of freedom and, that, that, that made them fall in love with the sport to begin with. Um, it's a way to sort of get back to that. 
well, let's let's kind of bring things together here uh, as as we come towards the end. Let's say Ryan, I'm a 42 year old cyclist. I have done. Let's see, I've gone as high as category three. I'm not really super keen on racing for a number of reasons right now, but I do want to continue to get faster. And you've said a lot of things today that are making a lot of sense to me. I need to take a look at uh, how I'm, I'm looking at this and looking at it as an opportunity as opposed to an obstacle. Uh, I need to change how I'm tracking my rides and keeping basic training logs, writing how I felt, how I think the ride went and, and how I did with the training for that day. Uh, I'm going to talk to X or why, or I should say Annie or Fred about, you know, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And actually be open to listen. What would be three to five steps that you would recommend the listener take to help them get the most out of this huge opportunity that life is offering them right now? Mm. Um, well, I would say you know, one of the, the big ones is just consistency. Um, I think a lot of people get into these, what I would consider advanced training ideas that they might hear about, uh, but they neglect the importance of consistency. And, and that's a, a bit of a, a weird word because I don't want it to sound like I'm saying, oh, you need to do the same thing every day. In fact, it's the opposite. You need, you know, variety to maintain consistency. But when, when I look back at, like I said, I was recently looking back at like 20 years of, of uh, or 18 years of power files. And when I saw really the most sustained improvement, it was when I was the most consistent, um, meaning like, the most valuable statistic was not the number of hours I trained or the number of TSS points or whatever it, or the number of miles or whatever it was, how many days per month did I do something? Um, and if that was, you know, let's say over 20, I generally improved. If it was over 15 days a month, I, you know, generally like maintained fitness and the more months I could put together consistency, you know, I, the, the, I had long-term improvement. And I think that people forget about, you know, they get ahead of themselves in, in trying to employ some more advanced uh, methods and, and they put that at risk. Um, so you really don't want to put that at risk either by by draining that net motivation well or bank account is that um you know just keep trying to do trying to do something um sometimes it's not going to be as much as you wanted uh you, you may run out of time in the day or the weather's bad or th something comes up with family and work you know try to try to do something try to get on the bike for 20 minutes and do an easy spin. Um, or if you're, you're feeling like you're close to pushing burnout or something like, okay, scrap the, the workout. Um, obviously, you know, if you have a coach, talk to your coach, but, um, just do something that's fun and restorative to, to keep the consistency there. Um, 
you know, I think keeping it fun is is really important, and that would probably be my my number two there. And knowing what you what you find fun, what made you fall in love with this sport to begin with. If you don't have fun in general, you're not going to continue with this. It's not going to be. It's not going to help your your performance. Um, and I don't care who you are and at what level. It doesn't matter. Even you know, people will say, "Oh, I'm a this person's a pro," so that's their job they're getting paid for. It doesn't mean need to be fun. And I would push back on that. I think, yeah, it, they're not going to be a good pro if they're not having fun. Now, yeah, there's days when it's tough, of course. Um, there's, there's times when you do need to um, withdraw from that motivation bank account. But, uh, but all in all, you have to look at, uh, is this, is this fun? Is it enjoyable? That's what's going to keep you going, you know, day after day, week after week, year after year. Um, and, um, you know, I guess I would lastly just look at all of the, the sides of, of this sport. Talk to, talk to your team, um, meaning, you know, the, your support team, everybody around you and, um, and examine all of these things. And, and I think right now, you know, there, there are going to be some people that might say, okay, well, yeah, I do need to work on my strategy and my tactics on the bike, but I can't do that right now uh, because there's no races. And I, I don't think that's true. I think you can go, you know, watch, um, watch the Tour de France, watch bike races on TV, um, sort of, game out different scenarios with some of your teammates um read the books and yeah there's not enough of them like you said but uh read the books that are available out there put yourself in these different scenarios or um you know go and race zwift try some races on zwift I, it may not be it doesn't have to be your favorite thing in the world to do uh but it can be a good way to learn how to use your brain while you're suffering because you're racing in a different situation against probably unknown you don't know your competitors like you might know the people at the local races um so you you have to really think on your feet um about these different scenarios and that's a good skill to learn and you know speaking of uh watching races you touched on that with the body language actually the 2018 milan san remo uh where nibali won was a fantastic one i actually did a breakdown a 25 minute breakdown and using the screen capture and um eurosport had it tagged for copyright which is not okay because it's technically free share for educational there was an attack that he sent off with about five and a half kilometers and there is an Israel Cycling Academy rider went with him and it was very clear Nabali like held up for him. And then the other rider, he looked at his body language. You could see Nabali's like, nope, not going to happen. We're going to go by my own. Um, so those races and, and there's so much that you can access online now. I, I think that's an important uh, comment that, you know, you can't experience it yourself. Sure. And Zwift racing does not count. <laughs> uh, very different. 
but you know, to be able to go out and experience each of these things is fairly simple. It's just looking for the opportunities. It's like when you think about buying a Toyota Camry, all of a sudden you see them everywhere. So when you start looking for the things, the universal intelligence is like, oh, you're looking for this. Well, here they are. And that mentality uh, change, I think, is really important that you mentioned as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's different um, competitive situations you can, different things you can do um, that can sort of I, I exercise those muscles, so to speak. Um, you know, I used to tell people in the off season, like, do something competitive when you're not racing, you know, join a weekly poker game or, um, you know, if you're, if you're doing some other sport for, for cross training, you know, that can be good, not just from a cross training standpoint, but to, to think about these different um, competitive situations. Yeah, there are so many fantastic points here today, Colin. We really, we kind of went all over the map, didn't we? We, we talked about, um, uh, what was it again? Um, the small gains, I keep on. Marginal gains. Marginal yeah. gains and how that may or may not apply. We talked about rebalancing, uh, seeing opportunity, the importance of, of working with a coach and also talking with people around you to get your strengths and weaknesses. Uh, where can people find you to continue to learn more and, and to uh, connect with you? Yeah, thank you. Um, they can go to my website, which is backboneperformance.com. Um, I am also working with a, a local uh, facility here, which is called the Endurance Collective in Durham, North Carolina. And um, that's theenduranceCollective.com. Um, and I would say that they're, they've been really fun to work with, too, because it's a team of, of, of different cycling and triathlon coaches and you know, strength and conditioning coaches, dietitian, um, massage therapy. And, and it's really um, a nice way to, to work together as a, as a team and, and have more, a more holistic approach to things. So um, most of the new athletes that I'm taking on, I'm, I'm going to be taking on through um, the Endurance Collective here because I really like that approach. Like I said, um, I believe in having a big toolbox, but I also have enough humility to know when I'm out of my depth sometimes. <laughs> and, and it's nice to have a, a team of people that you can work with there in those situations. Awesome. And are you also on Instagram and Facebook as well? Uh, I, I am. I would say you are much better at social media than I am. And, um, I, I, I'm not always great about that stuff, but, uh, yeah, I, I, backbone performance, you can look up on, on Facebook or uh, backbone perf on Instagram. Awesome. Yeah. It's all about finding the right, uh, way to connect with somebody. I've had people message. I'm not going to say which one because it takes me a couple of months. I'm like, oh, I haven't been on this thing for a while because it automatically goes off. I'm like, oh, okay, don't have to yeah. worry about it. <laughs> yeah, you can find me on MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> Throwback. The juniors today will not know what that is. <laughs> well, Colin, uh, thank you so much for, for hanging out with us today and uh, really, really excited to, to have this conversation with you. And uh, thank you for sharing your knowledge, man. This was a lot of fun. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it was great to, to catch up and, uh, and talk to you. I'd love to do it again sometime.
That's it for this episode of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast with world-leading strength coach for cyclists and triathletes, Menachem Brody. Don't miss an episode. Hit that subscribe button and give us a review. For more exclusive content, visit humanvortextraining.com or get the latest expert videos from Coach Brody on the HVT YouTube channel at HV Training. Until next time, remember to train smarter, not harder, because it is all about you.